0: Tonight, the first part of our feature, Rave Against the Machine, exploring rave culture, past and present, plus new music from Pools. It's all here on this special edition of the Puget Sound Listening Hour. This is the Puget Sound Listening Hour with Michael Jones. Welcome everyone, I'm Michael Jones coming to you from Seattle. Thanks for joining us. This is a special show tonight on a couple of levels. I'll be presenting the first part of an ongoing look at rave culture, past and present, Rave Against the Machine. The report is especially personal to me as I lived through many of the events we'll talk about, including the clubs of Chicago during those early days of House. I'd like to dedicate this report to the memory of Mr. Frankie Knuckles, the godfather of House himself. He's a pivotal figure in dance music culture in tonight's report and in our memories of those early days. March 31st marks the first anniversary of Frankie's passing. A film is being made about him and the warehouse. On Tuesday, March 31st, a launch party for the film is being held at the Underground Nightclub in Chicago from 6 to 10 p.m. 100% of the proceeds will be going to the Frankie Knuckles Foundation which supports house music history, creation, and performance. For tickets and details, go to theundergroundchicago.com. Then later in the show, we have a new track to debut from our friends, Pools. But right now, our special report, Rave Against the Machine. That rendition of Daisy Bell, brought to you by IBM's singing 704 computer, would be part of a musical revolution. At the time, 1961, many Americans shook their heads and wondered aloud, what'll they think of next? Someday, they told us, machines would take over our jobs and our world. Good evening, my fellow citizens. This government, as promised, has maintained the closest surveillance of the Soviet military buildup on the island of Cuba. Within the past week, unmistakable evidence has established the fact that a series of offensive missile sites is now in preparation on that imprisoned island. The purpose of these- Just a year after IBM's singing computer debuted, we held our collective breath, teetering on the brink of nuclear annihilation. The apocalyptic potential of scientific progress had hit home. Hiroshima, Nagasaki, then Cuba. Progress, it seemed, could be the death of us all. A point driven home in this classic moment from Stanley Kubrick's 2001. Do you read me, me, Hal? Affirmative, Dave. I read you. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Facing a robot ruled future and a world that could end at any moment with the press of a red button, what would you do? You might just get together with your friends and rave against the machine. Oh, he- 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 the Our journey through the roots of rave culture begins with the origin of the word rave. In the late 1950s, the word rave was used to describe, quote, wild bohemian parties in London. And in 1958, Buddy Holly recorded this classic, Rave On. There was also the legendary Million Volt Light and Sound Rave in London in 1967. The Beatles recorded this Carnival of Light collage for it, heard here but never released. From the late 60s until the late 80s, the term rave was rarely used. But call it what you want, rave culture is a social phenomenon with its own music, not a music genre with a social following. The roots of what we call rave culture can be found across the Atlantic. The year was 1965. Working class kids in the UK couldn't afford to drop out and wear flowers in their hair like their American counterparts were doing. Unemployment surged in the years following World War II. Manchester alone lost 150,000 manufacturing jobs starting in 1961. With empty pockets and a passion for soul, in a world that seemed to have turned its back on them, working class kids raved against the machine. They started all-night dance parties with imported records in the abandoned textile mills of Manchester and elsewhere. The owner of London's Soul City Records dubbed it the northern soul scene after observing that customers from northern England preferred Motown over Funk. Their superstars included Gene Chandler. and the new beats. The Northern Soul Party continued through the 70s. Fast forward to 1984. That was the year we were supposed to be under the scrutiny of an Orwellian big brother. But rather than feeling observed, many felt ignored. Anyone who was different, it seemed, felt alienated in a country run by a B-movie actor and his Hollywood wife. By 1984, AIDS had killed gays and African Americans by the thousands, sending shockwaves through those communities and nearly decimating parts of the underground. Public calls were made to test anyone who could have AIDS and enter their names in a database. Much of the gay underground, where disco had been born in the clubs and bathhouses, was being dismantled. Despite the daily body count, Reagan refused to even acknowledge AIDS existed. He would remain silent until 1987, two years after his old Hollywood pal, actor Rock Hudson, died of the illness. Another epidemic, crack, surfaced in L.A. and began raging through America's African-American communities. Election night 1984 was a seminal moment for many of us. Former Vice President Walter Mondale had run against Reagan for the presidency. A Democrat, Mondale ran with America's first female vice presidential candidate, Geraldine Ferraro, but he looked more like a soggy cornflake than a president for much of the campaign dashing the underground community's hopes for relief from the Reagan era. On election night, a group of us stood silent, staring at those TV election maps covered in Republican red. All of America, except Mondale's home state of Minnesota and the District of Columbia, rallied behind Reagan and gave him a landslide to the White House for another four years. The nation had heard the voices of the disenfranchised and turned a deaf ear. It was a bloodless coup for Reagan and his brand of rich, white, conservative Republicans. My fellow Americans, I'm pleased to tell you today that I've signed legislation that will outlaw Russia forever. We begin <laughs> bombing in five minutes. That night, some people hugged, some cried, and a few like me said, "Fuck them, let's party. That meant piling into a VW rabbit for a trip to the power plant in Chicago. Once you were inside those doors, the world of ray guns and nuclear bombs disappeared. It was a place where you could be yourself. And presiding over it all was the one and only godfather of House himself, Frankie Knuckles. Frankie became famous in the late 70s, spinning regularly at Chicago's infamous Warehouse, a members-only club for gay black men. The Warehouse and another Chicago club, The Music Box, were the birthplaces of House music. In 1984, under the shadow of Ronald Reagan, setbacks for civil rights, widespread anti-gay sentiment, AIDS, and a crack epidemic, the first Chicago House record came out and it was Jesse Saunders on and on. By 1986, London had caught on to House, and Chicago DJs were already experimenting with a new sound – Acid House. DJ Pierre, Spanky Smith and Herb J formed the group Future, and this release, 1987's Acid Tracks, is widely considered the first Acid House vinyl release. From the resort island of Ibiza, acid house spread like fire across Europe. In the summer of 87, four guys, Danny Rampling, Paul Oakenfold, Nikki Holloway, and Johnny Walker, went to Ibiza on holiday. They were inspired by the island's booming scene to create massive musical events back home. That vacation would set the stage for the huge EDM festivals of today. Acid House parties popped up around London in 88 and 89, complete with smiley face buttons. Later dubbed raves, these parties would soon be imported to the US. While acid burned up Europe in 88, House was dying a sudden and painful death here at home. That year, house music sales plummeted, with less than a tenth of the sales it enjoyed at its height. Just four years after that bleak election night of 1984, the winds of change began blowing across America and Europe. Mr. On Gorbachev. November 9th, 1989, a new era began. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. When the Berlin Wall fell, The old machine had been destroyed, and a new one took its place. Rave culture became energized. We'll explore that in the next part of this report, Rave Against the Machine. Our time tonight is coming to a close, but before we go, we have some fresh new music from Pools. Remember, if you're an electronic or alternative artist and want to submit a track for the show, visit our website at PugetSoundListeningHour.com. And remember, you can follow me on Twitter at that Michael J, and the show at Puget Sound Hour. Now, here's that track I promised you. This is Pools and their remix of Dust Clears, Clean Bandit. Be sure to join us next week for another edition of the Puget Sound Listening Hour. Until then, I'm Michael Jones saying goodnight from Seattle and peace.